and welcome to One Cardinal, One Cub, and One Beer. We are very excited here. I am wearing my Suffering from Baseball Withdrawal shirt that I got from Max for Christmas, but I'm not going to have to wear this anymore because Saturday, actually, minor league or spring training baseball starts on Friday, but the teams that matter to us, the Cubs and the Cardinals, they both play the first spring training game on Saturday, so really excited about that. Want to remind you to like us on Facebook, follow us on Twitter, and you can contact us through one card, one cub, one beer at gmail.com. You can subscribe to our page by clicking on the icon on the bottom right. For those of you who are watching on Mac, DC, Android, or uh, Apple, whatever uh, device has that. And if you're watching on like a streaming service, please, please, please just go to your go to your computer, go to your laptop PC. Find us on YouTube and go ahead and subscribe to us. That way, whenever we put new content up, you will be the first to know. Also, uh, support us through Patreon. You can go to patreon.com, search one cardinal, one cub, and one beer, and you can support our efforts. We have three levels. We have the uh, uh, division winner at $3 a month. We have the pennant winner at $5 a month, and we have the World Series champion at $10 a month. And all of your donations uh, through Patreon are greatly appreciated. And you get some some really cool stuff when you do that. So uh, please subscribe. JJ, how you doing? What's up? Are you as excited as me? I'm very excited. We're we're almost to the end of February. It seemed like when uh, base, the World Series ended, it was a lifetime to go. It was just tedious. We had the holidays. That kind of helped pass the time. But after New Year's, just some tedious days, but the days are starting to get nicer now. I'm seeing the reports from spring training, and Vince, it's it's rejuvenated me. You know, I, I I'm 59, but I feel like a 56 year old now. I'm rejuvenated. There, I'm 56, <laughs> and I feel like a 54 year old. Yes, the fountain of youth. I'm seeing the videos, and I'm seeing the the in Florida, the palm trees blowing, the grass is green, the fields are are, are uh, cut nicely. The Cardinal red, uh, red uniforms are really popping, and uh, I know, Vince, this might be a sore spot, but Wilson Contreras looks really good in that Cardinal red. I'm excited. I really am. And we're getting to see all the – Saturday it starts. I work midnights every other weekend, so I'm working midnights Friday, but I got my alarm clock set. I'll be getting up and watching that spring training game because the, the Saturday game is against the uh, Washington Nationals and the Sunday game is against the Florida Marlins. We share the same – spring training facility as Florida. So we play them about a fifth of every game we play in spring training against Florida. So we know them pretty well. So that's going to be fun. And um, I'm seeing, I heard one of the things that came out of Cardinal spring training is Tyler O'Neill, who, by the way, was supposed to stop working out so intensely. And he was going to work on, you know, just uh, getting ready for baseball and doing stretching and being more, streamline kind of player i don't know if you've seen the pictures of him vince but uh i don't know what this cat is doing but his biceps is phenomenal i mean if we get into it with the brewers this year they may just wave the <laughs> we'll send tyler o'neill out there and uh they'll i think there'll be no problems at all he looks great but he's gonna he's gonna battle dylan carlson for center field i i thought at the end of the year it looked like o'neill left Carlson center but they're going to fight for center and maybe that's good so Tyler O'Neill can move from from left to center and um I don't think it's just either or 
kind of thing, one of the two of them out there. But uh, that's going to be fun. And I like when they challenge these players and try to get the best out of them and see what they got. So uh, with the World Baseball Classic coming up, we're going to be looking at a lot of young players. And um, I do think there's one kid that is not projected. A lot of players, people don't know him. But uh, I think a kid that's going to make the team out of spring training is a outfielder named Alec Burleson. And Alec's been in Memphis for two years, and he has put up some, some really good numbers. Uh, he's 24 years old. He played in college and had a very good college career. Um, he's hit 302 in two years at Memphis. He's a, he's a left-handed bat. A lot of Cardinal fans wanted the Cardinals to go out and get a left-handed bat. But I think Alex Burleson is that left-handed bat, and he could be a DH, play some first, and maybe a little bit in the outfield. He's not known for his defense, but he's young, and he can work on that. He uh, he uh, He's known uh, uh, as a kid that is a contact hitter, and he doesn't chase. He doesn't chase anything. Um, he's a gap hitter, and uh, he plays left field and right field, and they rate him at the top of contact hitting. So Alec Burleson, pay attention to that name. I hope he makes the team. Seems like a real good kid. And in two years in Memphis, he struck out 94 times and he walked 46. Now, of course, I like the strikeout numbers. I'd like to see him walk a little bit more than that. So uh, a lot of those uh, contact hitters, they don't walk much. Uh, no, there's still the putting the bat on the ball. If it's off the plate, they'll, they'll put the bat on the ball. And And with our team, you know, I'm every year I'm optimistic, but with our team, I, he'll probably bat down at the bottom third of the lineup too. And um, yeah. sometimes, sometimes a young guy can really blossom there. I know there's only nine batters, and they're supposed to pay the same attention. But it seems like once you get past three, four, and five, sometimes there's down at the bottom of the lineup. Some guy, some team, some players can really uh, excel right there at that spot. Seems like some people are leadoff hitters, some people are cleanup hitters. Uh, I know we've had players in the past that you put them in a one spot, they didn't hit a lick. You put them down at eight and they were crushing the ball. So we'll see. Yeah. But I, I really, I think that kid's got a great chance of, of, uh, of making an impact. Um, I tell you what, uh, uh, Scott Rowland, it was announced this week that Scott Rowland is going to go in the hall of fame as a Cardinal. I'm proud of that. I think that's great. Uh, I would have been fine if he went in as a Philly. He kind of played equal amount on a lot of different teams. He played Philly seven years, Cardinal six, Reds four, and Toronto two. Um, with us, he was on a four-time All-Star and three gold gloves, but totally had eight gold gloves and um, and seven All-Star games. And, uh, you know, you can make an argument for the Phillies or the Cardinals. I'm glad he's going in as a Cardinal. I think that's – I knew him as a Philly, but – as a Cardinal, that's when our team was really, really good. We made some uh, World Series appearances there. So that's cool that Scott's going in. Uh, also, uh, let's see here. I got a couple things. Vince, I got a little test for you. All right? I've okay. Got, all right. I've got three players over the last five years, and I'm going to put up their statistics. I don't know if you can see that. Player one, I'm going to try not to uh, – I got a sneak peek who it is. And th there's a reason I'm doing this. There you go. All right. These three players are uh, somehow connected. And they all came out about the same time. And at the time, people didn't know who was going to be the better player. 
But uh, that's five years of statistics. And uh, over uh, some have played for different teams and some teams have played for one. But uh, do you care to guess who you think, uh, who was the better player of those three players? Uh, Over here on the strikeout, that's negative uh, 252. That means they struck out more than they walked uh, 252 more times. Okay. Player three right there. Their batting average, I don't know if I've made that clear. It's like 255, 257, and 283. The amount of bat, uh, games they played in those five years, um, all that. I'd say the third player is a little bit better, just yeah. from the statistics I'm looking at. All right. The third player is Christian Yelich. And the reason I bring this up was when the Florida Marlins decided to just kind of disband and get rid of all their stars. Uh, Stanton was the one that everybody wanted. Well, Stanton is the top player and Stanton by far has had the worst statistics over the five years and he's made the most money. Now he plays in New York. He's on a star studded team, but I remember as a Cardinal fan, people were like, Oh, the Cardinals, they always come in second place for everybody. And we were making a, a bid to get Stanton, but the Yankees, of course, if you're bidding against the Yankees, they're going to get him. The second yeah, I heard, player, I heard, I heard the same thing from Cubs fans. Why aren't we getting Stanton here? So, and sometimes you look back, like at the time, I was like, oh, because Stanton was on the All Star team, he was on the front of everything, he was the big star, and Ozuna was the second player, and he had nice stats, and they're similar to uh, Stanton. The thing that was Stanton, he's been injured so many times, but of course, you don't know that. And then Yelich, well, so what happened is the Cardinals got Ozuna because. Uh, we didn't get Stanton, and they weren't going to trade Yelich, who had like a uh, team-friendly contract. But once Ozuna and Stanton was gone, Yelich said, well, I, I don't want to stick around here. And they traded yeah. him to the Brewers. Oh, I wish we would have got – that's the player we wanted after we couldn't get Stanton. But looking back sometimes, some of the best trades you make or moves you make is moves you didn't make. You know, one time we were going to pay David Price a ton of money, and God love him, and he had a great career, but, you know – uh, thank gosh we didn't we didn't make that move. So anyway, I thought that was interesting. I went back through the last five years, and Yelich has been by far more superior than the other two players. And uh, yeah, and that that Yelich has been those statistics were mostly compiled those first two years in Milwaukee because the last three years he's been a below average player due to injury. You know, so. Yeah, and uh, I'm pulling for him. He's a nice kid. And, uh, but you know, injuries, uh, it gets, it gets them all, uh, just a very few avoid those injury bugs and you can't forget, you know, forecast that kind of thing. Yeah. And, uh, well, uh, the other thing I was going to talk about is, uh, I guess I'll bring it up. Tim McCarver, Tim McCarver passed away this year or this week, this past week. And as a big Tim McCarver fan, I'm, I'm too young to remember him as a player, although he played in the seventies but he was mainly a backup. And uh, Tim played in four decades. He he came up in 1959 as a, a really young kid. I got that number here. So a seven, he came up to the big leagues when he's 17 years old. You're playing with these grown men, and you're 17 years old. And uh, Tim was known uh, for his baseball smarts, uh, nice player. Uh, and I think... Uh, one of the things I think of him mostly, one thing, is the 60s Cardinals. 
we had uh, Hispanic players, African-American players, and, and white players, and they got along very well. And a lot of teams were slow to change. New York Yankees, who had success forever. And I think a lot of that McCarver and Gibson getting along because, you know, Gibson could be kind of ornery on the mound. And uh, sometimes Tim would run out there and Gibson would say, go back behind the plate, you know, and he'd run <laughs> back behind the plate. And But McCarver was very smart for seeing, uh, calling the plays and everything. Um, he played 22 years in the big leagues from 59 to 80. Um, four decades, like I said, a two-time All-Star and a, actually a three-time World Series champion. 64, 67 with the Cardinals. And then in 80, he didn't play very much with the Phillies, but they, they won in 80. So he got a ring. So that's three-time world champion. Uh, 12 years with San Luis Cardinals. He had two stints with the Cardinals. Uh, 59 to 69 and then came back 73 and 74. Played with the Phillies for nine years. Boston for two and Montreal with one, for one year. And in 1967, that was his best year. Well, Vince, get this. He was a catcher, and he finished. He led the league in, in triples with 13. 13 triples, yeah. Oh, my gosh. I don't know. Maybe he just hit it in the right spot. And he, and he had uh, uh, above-average speed for a catcher. That's for darn sure, you know. But he was a, he was a gamer. In 1967, he, would, he finished second for the MVP, and he only lost out to his teammate, Orlando Chacha Cepeda. So that, that's pretty darn cool right there. Um, ended his career with 1,501 hits, 97 home runs. But this is the thing that I really respect. He walked 548 times, only had 422 strikeouts and a 271 average. I'll take a 271 average anytime. You know, yeah. that, that's, that's fantastic. Yeah. Oh, heck yeah. Um, he switched to broadcasting and pretty much right after his playing career. And I think that's where he thrived. Tim was a real likable guy. When you listen to the games, he just kind of drawn you in. He was a, he was a Tennessee, a Memphis, Tennessee man. And he had that Southern charm and he, he really could call plays ahead before they actually happened. He, he had such a knowledge of the game. It was so friendly and funny. Um, he did broadcast of 24 world series. A lot of young folks out there didn't know that, but man, uh, Tim really, he actually got inducted into the hall of fame for his broadcasting in 2012. And uh, he, he was a, a national uh, announcer and a local announcer. He called, he called games for the Phillies, the Mets, the Yankees, the Giants, and the Cardinals. And I absolutely loved listening to games. I think announcer makes a big difference. And when he called games, I really enjoyed the games he called. Um, here's something, Vince. I know I can't throw many fastballs past you, but this one you may not know. Tim McCarver actually had a music album. I don't know. Did you, did you know that? <laughs> you got the Bronson Arroyo. I didn't know. If you I, I may have known that, uh, at one time, but it probably just wasn't worth remembering. I know I might get it just to see, but it's Tim McCarver sings songs from the great American songbook. So I did not know that. I don't know how, if it sold any. There might each family member might have bought one. I know he sold at least five albums there. And uh, anyway, uh, he, uh, I, uh, I just, I, I just loved him. And he, he called Cardinal games up to a couple of years ago. Yeah. And I would see him at the Red Jacket Club when they induct 
Cardinals into the Cardinal Hall of Fame. And of course, he's in the Cardinal Hall of Fame as well as the National Hall of Fame. And I'd see him there and I could just tell, you know, he wasn't feeling good and God love him. Always had a smile on his face. And um, the other thing he's known for is being Steve Carlton's private, you know, personal catcher. And they worked together for a long time. And he actually worked with, he caught more games with Steve Carlton than he did Bob Gibson. And uh, of course, you know that uh, Yachty and uh, Wainwright had 328 starts in their career. Well, Carlton and McCarver are 20th on that all-time list at three uh, 228 uh, starts together. So that's pretty cool. And I, I just thought, uh, I have a few items here. Uh, let's see. Well, I had a couple of items. One, I'm going to show you, Vince. This is pretty cool. Me and you both were big Baseball Digest fans. And this is from September 1967, the year he almost won the MVP. The Baseball Digest was 35 cents. Look at that. Wow. Young Tim McCarver on there. And uh, that's before they even had uh, the colored pictures on the front and inside. So that's pretty good. I'm a big Tim I'm a big uh Baseball Digest fan. Of course, Al Kaline on the back. But there's old Tim McCarver. I had a card of his sitting somewhere up here. Oh, my Lord. Well, oh, by the way, I do have his bobblehead. I'll show that off. Right there. That There's old Tim McCarver right there. McCarver on the back. And it's a piece of a puzzle. There's a little uh, indention right here. And if you get the Bob Gibson one right there. They fit together, so you get them uh, pitcher and catcher together right there, Gibson and, and McCarver. That, that's pretty cool. Uh, yeah. I am a, I am a nerd. It's official. I'm a nerd. <laughs> so uh seems looks like I had a card of his somewhere up here, but, oh, here it is. This is him with the Phillies, and there's a Tim McCarver 1970 card with the Philadelphia Phillies. So, anyway, that's my little tribute to Tim McCarver. Sorry I took so long there. Oh, that, that's okay. Uh, a couple of memories I had about Tim McCarver. I, I read this in a book. Um, I, I hope I'm not butchering the story. Um, but if I do get some of the details wrong, uh, please remember I am 56 and the memory starts to fade a little bit. But McCarver uh, was from Memphis and he admitted that he had the, uh, the worldview of his day from people in the South. And when he was a rookie, he was on the team bus licking an ice cream cone. And Gibson went up to him and said, can I have a lick? And McCarver gave it to him. He took a lick and gave it back to him and waited for him to take a lick after him. And um, I may have gotten some some of the details a little skewed, but you know that's how I'm remembering the story. It was something like that, and I do remember McCarver saying, you know that that really, for the first time, opened my eyes that we're all human beings. That was really cool. Second memory I have, um, I'm like 11 years old, and I call a girl. You know, that's a big thing to do, you know, when you call a girl, you know, especially at that age. You know, yourself don't, out want there. Dad, don't want dad to answer. Don't want dad to answer. So I call this girl, dad answers. And I said, is Melody there? And he said, no, she's not here. Who's this? I said, Vince. He said, started talking to me. Vince, how you doing? You? And then he said, do you like baseball? I said, yeah. 
and we started talking baseball and he starts telling me how much he loves Tim McCarver. This one McCarver was still playing for the Phillies. It was like, wow, this is, this is kind of cool. I was, I was still scared to death. You know, I'm waiting for that. And don't ever call back her again. <laughs> so hey, I like the style, Vince. That's pretty memories. <laughs> All right. I'll get on with the uh, Cubs news before I talk about any of my other, uh, childhood memories um we do have some news on kyle hendricks it looks like um unless there's another setback he will be um uh, with the staff uh maybe four to six weeks into the season um our fifth starter at this point is either going to be uh samson uh Wisneski or assad and let's get real assad really doesn't have a chance and i don't think unless Wisneski just has a killer spring training i i think it's going to be samson he's a safe choice he's a veteran he pitched well last year the light has went on and he understands pitching so um I, i'm very happy with that and anything we get from kyle this year i kind of look at it as a bonus so if he does come back um uh, and he he's the old kyle hendricks that's going to be a big boost for us we did have a signing this week. We signed Edwin Rios, uh, who has played with the Dodgers. He uh, uh, basically has been a third baseman in the minor leagues, uh, but he's been blocked by Justin Turner with the Dodgers. He is 28 years old. So, uh, you know, this is someone who should be major league ready. Um, he's a left-handed bat with power, and we need that. We've got Bellinger from the left side. We got Happ as a switch hitter, but we need another thumb from the left side. He can DH, he can play first base, and he can play third base. And uh, for his career, he has 260 at-bats, and he has 20 home runs. That's quite a bit of power. Um, he has a 219 career batting average, but a 791 career OPS. So if your batting average is that low and your OPS is pushing 800, uh, you're, you're really whacking the ball pretty good. He has a .04 war, and uh, that's pretty good for only 260 major league at-bats. But all these numbers are skewed because in 2021, he had a 0.78 batting average in uh, 54 plate appearances, I think. He had a 3.54 OPS, a negative 0.8 war. Uh, so, so, or negative 0.08 war. I was going to say, wow, that would be terrible. Uh, so, um, he, he has been much better than what his 219 career batting average is. Small sample size, 160 at-bats, but you take away that disastrous 2021, he has a 254 batting average and a 950 OPS. Now, what we've done is we've basically added another one to the third base merry-go-round. We now have Rios. We now have Mastroboni. We now have McKinstry. We have Morrell. We have Wisdom. Uh, who am I leaving out of here? Madrigal, they're trying out a third base. That's right. All this to say this, for a team who is putting uh, um, run prevention at a premium, none of these third basemen are known as great defensive third bases. Probably McKinstry's maybe the better one. So, um, yeah, who knows? Rios may be a better defensive first baseman than what I've been led to believe, but I kind of see the left-handed version of Patrick Wisdom. Wisdom two years ago was was a very good third baseman last year. He was just terrible defensively. So who knows what we're going to do at third base. Um, uh, 
I want to run through the uh, list of Cubs who are going to be playing in the World Baseball Classic. We have Javier Assad for Mexico, Owen Casey, uh, uh, who's going to be playing for Canada, uh, Danis Correa, who's going to be playing for Colombia, Ben Deluzio, Cardinal fans may know that name, he's oh, yeah. going to be playing for Italy, uh, Reynas Elias will be playing for Cuba, Miles Mastroboni will be playing for Italy, Matt Mervis will be playing for Israel, BJ Murray for Great Britain, uh, Michael Natoni will be playing for Italy, Italian, Italy, uh, Brandon Orgolis will be playing for Great Britain, uh, Fabian Pertuz uh, will be playing for Colombia, Liam Spence will be playing for Australia, Marcus Stroman will be playing for Puerto Rico, uh, wow. Daya Suzuki for Japan, and Curtis Taylor for Canada. Uh, saying all that to say this, you probably didn't recognize about 80% of those names. So there are a lot of people in the Cubs organization going to be playing for some of these teams that don't have a whole lot of talent, but at least they're going to get some exposure. And probably for, for a lot of them, that's the last time you're ever going to hear their name because they won't make it to the major leagues, but that's just how life goes. I also want to bring up that a uh, Chicago native, former Cub, uh, but he uh, he was a two-time All-Star with Cleveland, uh, played the 2016 World Series against the Cubs. Jason Kipnis retired, and uh, oh, okay. he he didn't play last year, but he's officially announced he's retired. And, uh, of course, as, as we've already talked about, the first Cactus League game, uh, games for our teams will be Saturday when the Cubs play the Giants at two o'clock PM. That's the good thing about playing in Arizona is we get a little bit later. So um JJ and I are going to take a few moments to look at the uh new rules. And there's basically three of them. And I I know that there are I've heard people in some of the groups that I'm a part of who have been skeptical of these rule changes. But I do want to remind people, they have 8,000 minor league games of data. They're pretty certain that these rules are, are for the good of the game. So uh, let's start off by talking about the bigger bases. They're going from 15 inch squares to 18 inch squares. Uh, what that means is that the distance from from the bases has been shortened by four and a half inches. JJ, what do you automatically think? Speed, speed of the game. The fast guys are, and with the another rule is they can only throw over so many times. Yep. We'll get to the pitch timer. Okay, but yeah, yeah of course. I mean, uh, shoot, I remember Lou Brock. He'd be in the. He'd be out of the dirt and onto the AstroTurf. And uh, now it's easier to get back. What I like about it too, Vince, is less chance of injury. You won't have two guys fighting for a smaller section of that base. And uh, with the instant replay, we can actually see if they made it. You know, you got people like Trey Turner who are very creative at sliding, hook sliding, and, you know, all kinds of different slides. Uh, uh, I, uh, I I think the game's going to pick up. I think the stolen base is going to be a bigger part of the game. Uh, don't you, Vince? Uh, we haven't had many stolen bases, uh, uh, like in the 70s and the 80s. And here lately, you know, I think maybe 45 might lead the league right now. Yeah, what they've done is 
they've gathered a lot of data from fans, a lot of input from fans, I shouldn't say data, input from fans. And one of the things the fans wanted to see was more speed in the game. There is now 1.43 last year. There was 1.43 stolen base attempts per game. That's down a full attempt from just 25 years ago. So fans want to see more stolen bases. Okay, we we not to not to get too much into sabermetrics, but we know that the 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 uh, risk for a stolen base really does not pay off in today's game because um, I think they say you have to be a successful almost 80% of the time for the statistics to bear that it's actually a positive to steal a base. If you're successful below 80% of the time, you're actually inhibiting your offense. You're, you're running into too many outs and you're not scoring as many runs. So the stolen base has given way to big lumbering guys to hitting home runs. This will mean that there's going to be more successful stolen bases. Hopefully there's going to be a lot more attempts in stolen bases. And we will see guys who are speed guys, the Willie Wilsons, the Vince Coleman's, uh, the Ricky Henderson, those types of guys get a place in, in baseball. And uh, I'm, I'm excited to see that. The more base, the middle, the, the bigger base, the middle infielders have more base to work with. The first basemen have more base to work with. And I like what you said. It's going to cut down injuries. And I'm very excited to see the stolen base to be a little more prevalent in the game. I think just the idea of speed, even if you don't see the stolen base, the chance that there could be a stolen base, it sets the defense in motion. Um, you see people crowding in. You see them rushing their throws. It can create more offense just by the fact that we've got to hurry everything. we got to hurry everything. Uh, you're going to see pitchers, uh, I, you know, the, I'm sure they're going to – baseball, the, the game evolves. You're going to see different techniques. Uh, quick. I think you're going to see a lot of quick pitches to the plate when a guy gets on there. They're gonna, but with the time clock, which we'll get to later, I know, but I think we're going to see some quick pitches – as soon as they get it, they're going to kind of know where they're going and they're going to zing it in there where they can't really set up a takeoff. There's going to be all kinds of strategies. It's going to be fun, just fun to watch, you know. I think that's going to be great. I agree. The pitch timer. This is what the rule says. There is a 15 seconds between pitches when the bases are empty. So once the ball is thrown back to the pitcher, he has 15 seconds to wind up and pitch again. If there is a runner on base, that goes up to 20 seconds. Now, when the uh, when a batter is out, there is 30 seconds between when the batter gets out and there's a 30-second period for the next batter to get in the batter's box ready. So what they are doing is they are speeding up the game. The pitcher must engage in motion before the time expires. So if the pitcher comes to a set and the clock hits zero, it's a ball. If the pitcher set, starts bringing his arm back, the clock hits zero, it's a pitch. So yes, the penalty for a pitcher uh, uh, having an infraction against the rule is an automatic ball. Um, <clears throat> The pitcher may disengage from the rubber 
twice per at bat without penalty. So a lot of times the pitcher will be in the set position. Let's say it gets to two seconds. Pitcher can just step off if there's a runner on base twice, and that will reset the clock. There's no penalty. If he does it a third time, it's going to be called a balk. So if you got a guy on first base, you've disengaged twice during that at bat with the next batter, you do it a third time, balk takes the base. The hitter must be in the box with at least eight seconds remaining on the timer. So if the pitcher gets the sign and you're at uh, 10 seconds, uh, the hitter has two seconds to get in the box and get ready to hit. So once the hitter's in the box, the pitcher can throw. I don't know if we're going to see quick pitches. I think they're going to kind of kind of look at look out for that. But it's one of the issues that I've seen with with the slow pace of game has been three different problems. Pitchers not throwing fast enough in between pitches, you know, taking too much time. You Darvish, for example, catchers coming out to talk to pitchers. And I was so glad when they put in that rule a few years ago that they only had six mountain visits per game because your man now, Wilson Contreras, I saw him go out sometimes three times during one hitters at bat. He was, he slowed the game down mm. that way. But the third element in this has always been the hitter. Mike Hargrove, when he played, he was called the human rain delay okay. because he took forever to get in the batter's box. He would adjust his gloves, his hat, everything else. You're not going to have any more human rain delays. So the hitter, when they're at their plate appearance, they have one timeout they can call. So it's not going to be a situation where you have a hitter get set, timeout, timeout, timeout. It usually doesn't happen more than one time per at bat anyway, but that's just a precaution to make sure that hitters aren't calling all these timeouts. What we have found in the minor leagues with all the data that we have, this is cutting 24 minutes off of the, off of the games. Um, that doesn't sound like a whole lot until you realize, you know, if you have a game that's two hours and 40 minutes versus a three-hour game, that's a lot of time. And where this is really going to make a difference, what I, I think this is going to help with, with younger baseball fans is that during the school year, they start the games at 640 instead of 720 or 715, what a lot of teams do. So that's 640. So if you have a game starting at 640, kids got school the next day, and it gets done in two and a half hours, that's a little bit after nine. Kids can finally watch full baseball games, which is what I'm happy about. And I've watched a lot of videos. I've watched a lot of interviews. And the minor league players, they there was an adjustment period, but it wasn't that dramatic. And to a T, everyone that I saw loved the role changers. Pitchers, hitters, managers, catchers, everybody. There used to be... Uh, uh, I used to be, I guess it's still an adage that if a pitcher works fast, then your defense is better because they're on their toes. That's right. When the pitcher takes too long, the defense is ready, kind of relaxing, you know, the mind wonders. This just keeps everything more focused so you get a more crisp game. Um, and I was watching Sean Casey um, on the MLB network, and he was talking about how this is going to really get a hitter locked in because there's just not time to let thoughts wander and 
and overthink things. You got to get in there and you got to hit. So it's going to create a crisper game, a cleaner game, and a game that is more streamlined. JJ, what are your thoughts on the pitch timer? Well, when I first heard it, without all the research, I thought, man, that's not much time. Uh, you know, that that time seems like it, it goes pretty darn quick. <clears throat> but with all the research and everything, it, it, actually, the umpires were supposed to keep the game moving all along. But it seems yeah. like in the past, when they tell a batter to get in the box, they'd get into a fight, they'd yell, there'd be trouble. But now they know that going into it, the batters have no choice. Um, I And I just don't want anything messing with the integrity of the game. And the only thing I see a problem with, which is not a bad problem, but there's a lot of catchers that look over to the dugout and get the sign from the coach and then they call the sign and then the, uh, the, the you know, the pitchers call it off the signs. I think they're going to have to get more uh, ideas of how they're going to pitch each guy because they don't have much time now. As far as the yeah. batters, as far as the batters go, you know, one of the strategies of playing baseball is if a pitcher's in a groove, they try to mess up his groove any way they can. They step out, they adjust. Sometimes they always, I see this all the time, they act like there's a, a bug in their eye and then they call time and they check their eye and everything. I mean, there are some creative ways to uh, slow things down, but I don't think, like you said, they get one timeout at a bat and uh, they're going to have to get in there and get ready. I'm kind of excited about that, Vince, and the, there's no lollygagging. Get in there and let's go. Uh, and I just think between the pitcher and catcher, they're going to have to be more in sync. There's not a lot of time to be guessing, uh, dis disagreeing on what call the, the throw. So we're, we're going to see that, and I'm excited about it. I really am. Uh, I, and like you said, the young guys, I don't think it's going to bother too much, but we have uh, Gallegos, or Gallera, Galler, our reliefer, uh, from that's playing in the, uh, for Mexico in the uh, World Baseball Classic, he takes forever, Vince. I don't know what the time would be, but I bet it's every bit of 35 seconds per pitch. And it's as a Cardinal fan, I'm even like, oh, come on, you know, this is getting well, that'll be a thing of the past, you know. So, uh, I think it's going to be good. I don't know what about the time between innings, is it still the same? I think I, I believe minutes. that's still the same, yeah. Okay, still three minutes. I like it. I like it. And uh, I think I've heard some of the pitchers say, you know, as soon as that guy gets on base, they're going to, you, you got that time, but you can throw, as soon as that guy's in the box, you can throw it in there. So uh, you might see a little more quick pitching. I, that was a thing they used to do and people would get upset, but once they're in that box, get ready. Cause it's a coming. So yeah, uh, I, I'm for it. I, I think it's going to be fun. I think it's going to be a, 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 a nice part of the game. And they may have a spring training. It's going to be fun to see these new rules enacted. I'm looking forward to that this weekend, watching the games and watching that clock and getting used to it, you know? Yeah. Now, tying the bigger bases, the base runners we were talking about, and the pitch timer, the way this is shaking out is a pitcher can throw two pickoffs to first base without any penalty you get him he's out you don't he's safe you got you got you got one more pickoff the runners are going to know this so if you've already thrown over there twice you're going to have to get really creative on what you can do um john lester used to hold the ball you're not going to be able to hold the ball now because you got to pitch so what you're going to see is pitchers that are going to vary their timing there's going to be times when 
batter's in at eight seconds, seven seconds, the pitch is coming. You're going to see other times where they're going to be watching that pitch clock and it gets to two seconds. They're going to, that's when they're going to pitch. Um, you can throw over there a third time. If the runner's out, he's out. If the runner's safe, that's called a balk and the runner gets second base. So it's going to be a whole new strategy that's going to have to be thought up to hold runners on who are legitimate base stealers, uh, which I think is going to be fun. What's the video that is on YouTube that I it pops up all the time? Uh, Vince Coleman, they threw over like 17 times and he still sold, stole the base. And what they have found out with interacting with the fans, the number one thing that the fans dislike the most is the throw over to first base. And you always hear the boos. Yes, because that's right. Boo, you know. What I I hated the uh, fake the fake the third throw to first that they outlawed a few years ago. Yeah. Um they're 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 trying to make it a game where okay, you got a runner on base, you got to you get we'll give you a little leeway to try to hold him on, but your focus needs to be to get the batter out. And that's one of the things that I like. Pitchers who focus on hitters instead of base runners tend to be more successful. Greg Maddox could not hold a runner on to save his life. He only won 300 games. So. That's right. You know. Oh. Defensive shift restrictions. JJ, do you know what the league hit last year? No, I do not. I do not know what the league hit last year. Two. 43. Ooh. Yeah. It's very tough to hit. And one of the reasons it was tough to hit was because of these shifts. I saw a stat that since from 2017, when they had 22,000 recorded shifts in Major League Baseball, last year they had 60,000. So shifting has tripled in just five years. What's that meant? It's meant that Balls that were hit that for all of my life, right off the bat, you say, oh, that's a hit. That's a double. We're getting caught by the third baseman who was playing in shallow right field. And it was driving me crazy. And what it was doing was it was taking offense and just completely diminishing it. Pitching is getting so much better. You're, it's harder to hit a baseball now than it ever has been before. The shift is there to help equalize that. Uh, or the the shift uh, restriction is there to equalize that. Let the players who are left-handed not try to adjust their swing and try to poke the left, do something so unnatural. Let them be hitters and give them a fair shot because, man, when you're Kyle Schwarber and you hit that screaming, you know, one hopper to, to there should be a hit to right field and there's the third baseman standing in right field and he throws you out, and that, that's not fair to me. Um, when I was growing up, very few players were shifted. You had every now and then a player would be shifted on, but it wasn't that often. You had a third baseman, a shortstop on one side. You had a first baseman, a second baseman on the, the other side. And in my mind, that's the way God intended baseball to be. <laughs> Amen, you- brother. Well, you know, Ted Williams, there was a famous Ted Williams uh, shift. They did shift on Ted Williams, but he was a freak of nature. He hit it. He could hit anywhere. 
Yeah. I see. I seen times last year where they'd bring the out it, it, when the game was on the line. They'd bring in and have four guys on one side of the infield. I see that. I saw that occasionally. I'm with you, Vince. There is still some strategy. You can have two guys on each side. Nobody can be in the outfield. But I heard you can, if because Theo Epstein was talking about this because he's now a part of the rules committee in baseball, the famous Chicago Cub and Red and Red Sox general manager. You could take your left fielder and you could move him to shallow right field if you choose, but that would only give you two outfielders to cover the whole outfield. And I don't, I don't know what the stats on that would be, but it it, it wouldn't be good. But I, I'm with you. What we would see a hit up the middle. Now there was a guy standing right there, you know, and they can't run to the other side. They can be it short. And you know how they used to like, if a left hander was up, they, they would play more up the middle, but they got to be on this side of the bag and they can lean. And, you know, sometimes they do go beyond the bag and get it and throw over, but they can't start out over there. Uh, I like it. I like it. And I think it's going to cause more athletic especially at second base, you're going to see more athletic second basemen. Um, You know, we've got Nolan Gorman and Donovan right now uh, battling for second and Gorman's this power hitting young. Well, both of them are young, but a power hitter and he's really a third baseman, but Donovan is pretty fast. And I think that he's better fielder and he's got a huge advantage now with that shift gone of make uh, being the second baseman because he I think he plays a more athletic second base. Uh you know, I think that's going to be great too. I I heard one thing Vince, I'm going to go back to the bases. Um I heard them saying in spring training there's a lot of drills where they have the pitchers running to first and practicing uh, uh covering first base. Like they throw it to him on the run and they catch it and they tag the bag. Well the old bags used to have a they kind of were elevated a little bit. And they said in the dew down in spring training, uh, it got slick. And a lot of them would almost twist their ankles trying to cover the bag and feel for it. Well, now they've got a bigger bag and it's more like a pad. It's there's no, it's more like it's soft. It gives a little bit. And all the pitchers have been saying they love uh, covering first base. They have more area. They can tag the bag. Uh, and it's softer and not many people are going to be because we have a lot of injuries where guys are running down there and they slide off the bag and twist their ankles and stuff. So yeah, again, that's going to eliminate injuries and I'm all, and we're both for that right there. Oh yeah. Yeah. Um, also the infielders have to be within the infield boundary. So on a, on a grass field, that's going to be on the dirt. Um, there's very few turf stadiums left. Tampa, uh, Roger Center. You know, is that that the only? Two? Maybe those domes. Uh, maybe yeah, the they. Domes yeah, have. they. They have the. Uh, they have the mark, but yeah, you have. You, so you can't be playing in the outfield, and uh, an infielder cannot switch sides unless there's a substitution. So if you're a shortstop, you got to stay a shortstop unless they substitute uh, another shortstop for you, and you can move the second or something like that. But. Uh, the the second baseman had, all, had almost become you, you you really don't need much of an athlete at second base you know now the second base is going to be an athletic position again and with we having Nico Horner you having Donovan um, it's it's going to come into play that you need that really strong defensive second baseman which makes me just wonder why the Brewers got rid of Colton Wong because. 
there's a gold glover and you're going to need that defense, but I don't know. I'm not the Brewers. <laughs> so. Okay. Um, anything you want to add to the, to the rules changes? No, I'm excited. I'm excited by them. Um, you know, the one thing I will say, I thought when they started bringing the DH in and having the, the schedule the way it is, and now that you're, you're talking about how they're going to have these four divisions and split up these teams, I I don't want to lose some of those special things that made baseball so great. Keep the players safe, but I want to keep kind of the integrity and the history of the game the way it is. So I hope this is the last thing they do for a while, and let's just see how it goes. And, and then if the game uh, if something needs to be done, then they'll take care of it. But right now that's about, let's stay right here where we're at right now for a while. See what happens. Yeah. I, I like the rules changes because I feel like it is keeping the integrity of the game. And the only argument against that is okay, but yeah. Now what if someone breaks a stolen base record? Are you going to put an asterisk by it? Because you know, the bases, you know, let's get real. Uh, Hank Aaron hit 755 home runs and a lot of those home runs in Atlanta and Milwaukee would not have went out of most stadiums and he didn't hit them far, you know, first couple of rows. Um, there's always been some disparity in the record books. Um, the, Detroit had that short right field porch forever. Um, Yankee stadium had a short and now they got a jet stream blowing out. Right. So, you know, um, there, there are there are some inequities to go there. You know, pitching in Houston was always great when they were in the Astrodome because you know, great pitchers park. You know, the best one in baseball, Bush Stadium, Royal Stadium. Those were great pitchers park. You know, back in the day. So there's always been some sort of inequity based upon the environment because right. there's no rule that says it has to be three thirty down the line, three eighty five in the alleys, and four oh five in the center. There's no rules like that. And uh, I think that's part of the charm about baseball is that, you know, there are some inequities there. And so if if a player ends up stealing 140 bases, uh, cool. You know, to me, that's a new record. You know, let them yeah, go. I, I'm with you. I'm with you. Like Wrigley Field, a lot of those doubles that go in the Ivy and they can't find it. That's a double. That That's just part of the charm of the stadium and baseball right there. I like that. And being this is our last Wednesday of the month. We are going to have another episode of Down on the Farm. And today, Brody and, J and JJ, Brody and Max. Thanks. <laughs> I don't even know my own son's name, okay? I always wanted to name you JJ. Uh, Brody and Max are going to uh, look at uh, high A and low A ball and kind of tell us, uh, just give us an overview of the teams that both uh, the Cubs and the Colonels have with high A and low A ball. Uh, who wants to go first? Uh, you want me to go first this week, Max, since you went last uh, time? Sure, why not? Absolutely. Uh, so, uh, so like rookie ball, the, uh, the Cardinals, again, have two teams. They have the, uh, the Palm Beach Cardinals and the Peoria Chiefs, which, uh, their, uh, their emblem is a little, uh, Dalmatian dog with a little fireman's hat on. It's pretty cute. Uh, so, uh, the first is, uh, the Palm Beach Cardinals, because they're in the lower division of the A-ball. Uh, they play in the Southeast League, and they are from uh, Jupiter, Florida, but they call them Palm Beach because that's the county they uh, that they are in. Uh, they play in the same stadium um, as they do in spring training, as the St. Louis Cardinals do. 
and they shared the stadium with the Marlins, the the Marlins, uh, which is the Hammerheads, and um, uh, they play at uh, Roger Dean Stadium, and it holds six thousand eight hundred and seventy one fans there. Uh, a little bit more premium than the rookie ball, that's for sure. Uh, in 2022, the Palm Beach Cardinals record was uh, 37 and 80, which is a little on the downside. But, 37 uh, and 80. Yeah, yeah, they were too hot. Right. That let's highlight that there is a team affiliated with the St. Louis Cardinals who are as bad as the 1960 New York Mets. Excuse <laughs> me, the 1962 New York Mets. Hold on while I revel in that. <laughs> All right, go ahead. Oh man, uh, but you know they're they're still they're still you know getting into the whole routine and you know winning's not their main goal at uh, at eight ball. They're still just trying to work on their best and and become the best uh, the best baseball player they can be. Um, their manager is named Gary Kendall. Uh, he was uh, the Cardinals outfielder. Or excuse me. Their manager is Gary Kendall. Uh, one of their assistant coaches is um, Bernard Gilkey. And uh, he played with the uh, St. Louis Cardinals in the 90s. Uh, he was actually in the Men in Black movie, too. When the aliens were invading. Yeah, when the aliens were invading in the baseball game. Ah, I did not realize that. I didn't either. <laughs> Uh, their two key players are Joshua Barrez. He's the center fielder. He's 19 years old, and he's the Cardinals' top uh, top prospect in a ball right now. Um, he's top notch power. He has a cannon for an arm. Uh, 267 average, and he got 10 stolen bases in 32 games. Uh, we got Tink Hintz, number 95 top prospect, uh, or 95 top prospect in the top hundred. Uh, from Pine Bluff, Arkansas. He's a pitcher, uh, 20 years old, is a right-handed. He throws a fastball on a curve, and he's working on a change. He's developing a changeup. Uh, 1.38 ERA and uh, 80 strikeouts and 52 and a half innings. Wow. So he's, you know, I'm I'm hoping to see him in the big league sometime soon. I think he could be a, uh, a great pitcher. Uh, coming up on our second team, the Peoria Chiefs. They are the more advanced A-ball team. Uh, they play in Peoria, Illinois, which is only uh, 146 miles from my house. So that's pretty cool. May end up going and seeing them. Um, they play at Dozer Park. Uh, and Peoria has been working with the St. Louis Cardinals since 2013. Uh, before that, uh, originally they were with the Angels in 1983 to 1984. Then they were the, with the Cubs in 1985 to 1994. Uh, then the Cardinals, 1995 to, or excuse me, 2004. Uh, back to the Cubs, 05 to 12. And then now we're there with the Cardinals. So they're jumping around. Uh, their record was a tad better, uh, 56 and 78. Uh, just they were, a tad. Yeah, just a tad. 17.5 uh, games out of first place in their uh in their league but uh you know their manager is patrick anderson uh their pitching coach is edwin uh morhunt 
who played for the San Diego Padres. Um, some of their players are L.J. Jones, a 23-year-old who was drafted in 2020. Um, he has a 2.61 batting average, 13 home runs, and 64 RBIs in their games. Uh, they have Mike Antico. He's an outfielder, 21 years old. Uh, he moved up just in one year after a ball. Uh, two point, or excuse me, 245 batting average, still 67 bases. And uh, he's the 22nd prospect. Um, on the pitching side, they have Austin Love, 23 years old, seven wins, uh, has 125.2 innings. 151 strikeouts, and uh, yeah, that that about sums it up for them. Yeah, you said the uh, one guy has 67 stolen bases last year. Um, and they do want to just as a note that last year the minor leagues were using the 18 inch bases that the major leagues will be using this year, and yeah, right. I, yeah, it, I'm curious. Yeah, I mean, we don't know this, but I'm how many stolen bases would he have with the smaller bases? You know, I'm yeah, that's true. I'm I'm just kind of wondering how much this is going to impact the running game on the major league level. But apparently it's doing it on the minor league level with everything that we've uh uh heard. So Absolutely. very good. All right, Max, what do you got? Alrighty. So uh today I'm covering the low A slash single A uh and the high A Cubs teams. Uh, the single-A team is the Myrtle Beach Pelicans, and they're in the Carolina League. They're based out of South Carolina. Um, just a little bit about them. They actually won the – or no, I lied. They did not win anything this year. Um, I think they had about a 500 record. Uh, as for high-A, uh, we have the South Bend Cubs, which are based out of South Bend, Indiana, in the Midwest League. And uh, this past year, they actually won the Midwest League Championship. It was a three-game series, and they were actually down one game to zero. But uh, two two of the bigger Cubs prospects, I think, that both have cracked top 100 lists, they actually contributed in those games. Uh, in game two, PCA had a three-hit game. Uh, for those who don't know, that's Pete Crow Armstrong. You're going to want to remember that. He's going to be really good. Uh, he actually had a ninth-inning homer, which ended up being the deciding factor as a 4-3 game. And in game three, Owen Casey... Uh, Canadian-born, by the way. I think he actually might be on their World Baseball Classic roster. Uh, he, he had is. a three-run homer in Game 3, and that also ended up being the deciding factor. They won 7-4. to four. Uh, For the Myrtle Beach staff, uh, they're led by skipper Buddy Bailey, and their pitching coach is Bruce Billings. I couldn't find any other staff, but typically uh, there's kind of a, what the Cubs have been doing recently is they have a like a collection of minor league hitting coaches. So Rachel Folden... Some other people, they're going to work with those guys, too, just kind of throughout the system. Uh, for South Bend staff, they have Lance Rymel. And he actually, for the Arizona Fall League, he actually managed, uh, typically what they do for the Arizona Fall League is they have multiple teams kind of combined. So I think the Cubs and Yankees and a couple other rosters, they combined for a, uh, a team. And he actually managed that team. Um the only reason I know that, though, is because I watched the AFL championship game where Caleb Killian threw five perfect innings. I was absolutely impressed. They interviewed Lance Rymel. He was a very well-spoken guy. He's only like 32. So, 
you know, if David Ross ever retires, he might he might be next on the chain, perhaps, as far as homegrown managers go. Um, some notable Myrtle Beach Pelicans this season. Uh, got Kevin Alcantara, who the Jaguar, I should say. You know, anytime yeah. you have a nickname like that, you know you you know your 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 hot stuff. Um, as far as he's ranked, I've seen a couple different uh, sites kind of put him different places. Keith Law is kind of I'm not going to say he's a prospect extremist, but he does have him at 29th, which I I think most other outlets have him between like 60 and 80. But he's six foot six, tons of raw power, and he's a he's a plus defender in center field. And anytime you have a guy who's as athletic as, as that, you're basically just waiting for them to kind of pop. I mean, this could be a top 10 guy, you know, in baseball at some point. Uh, it's also worth noting that uh, where the Pelicans play at Myrtle Beach Park. It's a it's a very pitcher friendly park. A lot of guys' offensive output is kind of drained by that. So when you have a guy like Kevin Alcantara putting up like an 840 OPS, that's really impressive for that ballpark. I think on the road he hit like 300, 350, 500. Uh, so like he 850 OPS. He just slugged way, way more on the road. Uh, some other notable Pelicans include James Triantos, who's got a pretty good hit tool, although he kind of struggled this year. I wasn't really expecting that, but he's still pretty young for where he's playing at. I think he's about 20. Uh, and then you have Moises Ballesteros, who he's one of those big bonus guys. So he got about a million bucks, I want to say. He's built like my refrigerator. He's absolutely massive. And right now he's a catcher. And I think if they go forward with the ABS system, uh, he can stick a catcher, uh, the automatic ball strike system. If not, he's probably going to be a first base DH type guy, but his bat plays there. So... It's another guy to look out for. He's only like 19, I think. Uh, and so whenever you have a 19-year-old in single A, you know, putting up good numbers, that's pretty impressive. And then as far as South Bend Cubs go, of course, we have Pete Crow Armstrong, who actually today Fangrass ranked as the 14th best prospect in all of baseball. And he's kind of clumped in with a bunch of other 60 FB guys. That includes like Jordan Walker, Francisco Alvarez. That's like the... If I describe that's the second tier of prospects below like your 65 guys like Corbin Carroll and uh, I want to say Adley Rushman was a 65 or a 70. So it's like that that tier of prospects below those guys have the potential to be like basically regular all stars. So that's always nice to see. Uh, some other notable South Bend Cubs include Owen Casey, who we talked about earlier, uh, and then two of the most exciting pitching prospects in the system, Daniel Palencia, who I've seen touch 102 on a Twitter video before. And right now, they've got him stretched out as a starting pitcher, and I don't think he can stick with that. But if he does, then he's he's going to be good. He sits like 98 as a starter, but in the bullpen, he can really play that up. Uh, and then the Cubs minor league pitcher of the year, Luis Stevers, who had like a two-point-some-odd ERA. I don't really... I, I, I don't know about him. He's got a really good changeup, but he can't overpower hitters. So he's got to be really deceptive. And the Cubs have been good with guys like that in the past, but he might get absolutely demolished by upper minors hitting. There's just no way to tell. That basically concludes. That's a, sorry, I went on a kind of a prospects tangent, but. Uh... <laughs> that's that's okay. Mm -hmm. So uh, when do, do, do either of you two know when the class A season starts for. Uh... Uh, yeah, it actually, it starts, I want to say um, early April. And then it uh, it ends in early September. It ends about three weeks before the uh, season ends. So what you'll see 
is for those lower minors guys. They might get like a cup of coffee in like triple A because uh, the triple A season lasts until October. It's the same as the major league season. So if they say, all right, you know, you guys are done for the season, but you, we kind of want to see three more weeks of you against maybe some better pitching. They'll send a guy from a ball to triple A, you know, and they probably won't start there next season. Uh, it's just to get them more exposure. Well, last year, um, for MLB TV, you had to buy a second level to get the minor league games. And and I paid for it. And I watched some minor league baseball last year. This year, if you get MLB TV, um, if you get the app, uh, they're going to include a lot of minor league games in the package. So you no longer have to get two packages. So I think that's good so people can see um, what these prospects look like on a baseball field. Because, I I mean, J.J. could verify this. There was a day not too long ago, you only heard the name. You had no idea what they looked like on a field. There was no YouTube. There was no games televised until they showed up in the major leagues. So it's Mm kind of cool to be able to see the talents that these these young men have, uh, which is tremendous. So, yeah. So thank you. And uh, before I let you guys go, I do want to let everybody know that uh, – Tuesday is Max's 21st birthday and uh, mm. one of his friends got him his first cigar and uh, mm-hmm. yeah I want to know how it goes and I want to know if you vomit okay that's that's all <laughs> I'm sure I'll be fine they're kind of strong all right well gentlemen thank you we appreciate it and you all have a good evening mm-hmm. you too our guest today is a uh, very very uh tremendously annoying cardinal fan like they can be <laughs> so i can tease him because he is my cousin uh we have with us mark souders and the reason we have mark isn't just because he's my cousin is because mark and his family owned all the turn to collectibles hello kitty <laughs> sorry the cat's contributing here right. that's okay <laughs> Um, Mark's family, they owned the, all the turn two collectibles that were in the St. Louis areas, I think from the mid late 80s all the way till the late 90s. Was that kind of uh, actually from 89 to 2005? Okay. All right. Well, so, so I was off a little bit. Hey, <laughs> I was going through a divorce in the early 2000s. I couldn't think about baseball cards. But, Mark, uh, just tell us how you became a baseball fan. Gosh, it was just kind of in the DNA, I think. Uh, I mean, it was the the game, the Cardinal games were always on. Uh, I actually watched a lot of Cubs because, I mean, just like I'm sure you guys, WGN, you know, you come home from school and boom, there it was. Uh, But, you know, I mean, the whole family was baseball fans and uh, just rubs off. (laughs) Okay. I do know that, uh, Rick's daughter is a Cubs fan, so yeah, I'm so. not the only Cub fan on my mom's <laughs> side of the family. That's always something I've held on to. Remember, in a family my nephew had a Cub jacket on. I was like, oh. So. Well, you know, John's daughter-in-law is a is a huge Cubs fan, and so now his grandkids are both. Uh, they think they're Cubs fans, but they'll learn better. Every family's got one. <laughs> <laughs> well, how did Turn Two Collectibles start? Oh, 
gosh, that was our oldest brother, Rick, and dad. Um, it was just something they kind of, I honestly am not sure how long they'd been planning it. Uh, but, you know, they were sort of working towards it for a lot of years, putting together a lot of different uh, cards and comic books. Uh, Turn 2 dealt a lot in comics, too. Uh, so they were just building an inventory for years. And then uh, time came, they decided it was, uh, it was the right time to do it. And where did, like, to start a business of this nature, you have to have quite a bit to open up. Did they, was that a personal collection or was like a personal collection the scene they just added for a few years before they had enough inventory to open up? Do you know how that worked? It was a, it was a personal collection, but I mean, they, like I say, they had been kind of stocking up, anticipating, um, you know, I, I mean, gosh, we opened in 89. I mean, from the time I was probably 10 or 12, they were they were working towards it. <laughs> I I don't, you know, I know Rick was always into the card scene. Uh, Dad got into it a lot more, if I'm remembering right, around 84. Uh, so, I mean, he had a, they kind of had a five-year running start at it where they were building stuff up. And at well, that I, time, oh, go, go ahead. ahead, JJ. No, well, go I, ahead. I'm, I'm the nerds. I'm the guys that would go to these stores. I don't know. Did you guys have a store in uh, Arnold? Was there a store, a turn to in, in Arnold or up in South County no, area? We we did have one in South County Center. Uh, we had uh, we had Alton, not in the mall, just a freestanding store down on Broadway. And then we had uh, Fairview Heights, that's St. Clair Square. Uh, we had South County Center. We had a Galleria store for a year or two. Uh, and we had uh, Chesterfield Mall store for several years also. Well, I loved going there because I started collecting when I was like in fourth grade. And uh, 89 was about the time I was, I got out of the Navy in 1990. So when I was young, I didn't have much money, you know, and what little I had, I usually spent on a pack of cards or something like that. But I would go up there. I could spend all day looking at the stuff. You guys <laughs> had great things. Uh, was there... Um, what was like one of the most, what was your favorite piece you guys had in your collection? Because of course you had your own collections too and stuff. Uh, was there something you had in your collection that just kind of stood out for you? Uh, for the stores? Well, for you personally, did you have a, your own little personal collection as well? Um, I I do. It's it's pretty little. I didn't, you know, I, I didn't keep a lot. I ended up, you know, really I, as I would move, I'd give my nephews most of my stuff just to not have to move it. Um, but I, you know, my personal favorite is a uh, Gary Carter picture that he signed for us when he signed for me when he did a, an appearance at one of our stores. Oh. Uh, Carter was a big time hero of mine. And he was, you know, you always kind of fear meeting your heroes. Uh, but he was everything you could have hoped for. He was the greatest ambassador of the sport, just my gosh, the stories he told us and the time he spent. And he wrote a real nice long paragraph for me on a picture. That's nice. Very that's, cool. That's my favorite piece. So let me get this straight. One of your heroes was a New York Met. <laughs> <laughs> well, I, I actually really got into him when he was a uh, an expo. Uh, but in 83, when the Cardinals traded my hero, Keith Hernandez, to the Mets, 
uh, I became a Mets fan and, and a Cardinals fan, but yes, it was boy, being a Mets fan in, in St. Louis was, uh, yeah. uh, but, and then, you know, in 85 Carter went to the Mets and I was like, well, I got two big guns now, you know, so I'm, I'm, I'm actually still a Mets fan. Uh, it's a little harder now with Cohen going nuts like he is, uh, but I, I don't root against him at this point. Very cool. I was a big Dave Kingman fan, so I admit when he got traded to the Mets, back to the Mets, I, I was I was a Mets fan for a while, but you know, then they released him, so I quit being a Mets fan. So I got my sanity back. So you recovered. <laughs> yeah, yeah. So um, I'll, I'll tell you a story. I I was living in Belleville at the time, and I go to the turn two in uh the mall in fairview heights and i knew in the back of my head that rick had opened up a card shop that in my mind it was in all because you know nobody ever talked about it you know my mom didn't talk about it or anything i just hey rick opened a baseball card shop in all or something like that so i'm in the turn two and i'm talking to the the gentleman behind the counter about something i don't know a card you know that I had, you know, is this worth anything or anything? And then he said, what's your name? I said, Vince. He said, well, I'm your cousin, Jerry. <laughs> Gosh, I didn't even <laughs> recognize you. But I probably hadn't seen you for five or six years and, you know, suddenly became an adult. You know, how, how'd that happen? <laughs> kind of one of my uh, greatest memories of turn two. When you did the uh, uh, merchandise, was it mostly sports or mostly the the comic books and the you know the horror merchandise we were was... really kind of a 50 50 split uh especially early on you know with with sports cards and comic books like I say it was it was pretty much 50 50 split um the alton store really always kind of stayed that way uh the jamestown mall store which I think I forgot to mention earlier, which we had for a long time. Uh, but that one, uh, that was probably about a 60, 40, 60 sports cards, 40 comics. Uh, the other stores had very small amounts of comics. They were mostly sports, sports stuff. Yeah. And at this time, um, in the early to mid nineties, the baseball trading industry was, was at its peak uh yeah the the cards were people were paying good money and people were investing in these for retirement and then things started to come back to earth again as is they they tend to do so you were open during that bubble did you see the bubble starting to burst at a particular time or was it kind of so gradual you didn't really fathom it you know, it, I mean, there's still a lot of people investing in them. Um, it's, it's a little different than it was, you know, they want them graded and things like that. Uh, but you, you know, you could kind of see simply the, you know, it's always a game of supply and demand and the demand was so crazy high, you know, just like a King Griffey Jr. 89 upper deck rookie, which was one of the things that really launched I mean, that started a whole new world of baseball card purchasing and investing. 
Uh, but it's like, you know, man, they're cranking a lot of these things out. Uh, and then as, as the, the nineties progressed, a lot of the companies would make actually smaller print runs. They were still pretty good sized, but they would, in order to keep it from just totally flooding the market, they'd say, well, we're only going to make so many cases of this product. Um, so, you know, I, I think the bubble burst more simply because people lose interest. Uh, somebody retires and nobody cares about them anymore, you know, after a year or two. So that was kind of where what I, what I personally observed is like, this is interesting. You know, when we opened, everybody wanted, you know, you know, Tony Gwynn was a, was a huge deal. Wade Boggs. Um, and as those guys got older and all, it was like, eh, we don't care about them anymore. Uh, it's very, you know, what have you done for me lately kind of market. I mean, obviously you always had your, your mantles and those kind of guys, but oh, museals, yeah. Ernie Banks. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. That's I, I, uh, in 89, like you said, the upper deck, I do have that set. And I do have that Ken Griffey Jr. <laughs> I just thought it was a beautiful set. And I, and I, I, I'm a baseball fan. It seemed like the cards from 52 to like 81 was just tops. And then here come Fleer and Donruss. And then here come Upper Deck. And it just seems like there were so many companies making cards. Now, as somebody who doesn't invest in them, I mean, I have some that I look up in Beckett. And, you know, people think, oh, I in Beckett, it says this card's $250. I can get $250. But am I right? You can only get what somebody's willing to give you absolutely absolutely yeah. so all these folks are saying i got look i got a thousand dollars on me right here well you know if you sell that card for maybe eighty dollars oh somebody will give it to you no problem so anyway i just do it for the love of it and if i have a player i like i just kind of get those cards but it seems like still time is the essence like i i don't think i'm old but some of my cards i look back and they're six you know they're 60 <laughs> years old now and i'm like oh my gosh and that, easy. that yeah, easy yes <laughs> You know, and then I find out there's one of the edges is rounded and it's only a fair card, you know. So uh, I don't treat it. I just treat it as a love and not an investments and things. And every once in a while, I'll bump into something that seems to be worth something. But it seemed like when they started making all those companies making cards in the 90s, things kind of slowed down well, quite a bit. Yeah, it it uh, it shifted. Um, you know, they got they were smart. They were creative. Uh, Upper Deck especially was always on the cutting edge with. Well, now we're going to put, you know, autographed cards every now and then in a pack. And we're going to take little slivers of somebody's game-used bat. Uh, we're going to put parts of their jerseys on cards. Um, and that, boy, that, that just sustained the whole engine for a long time. It's it's still being done, you know, and, and still those cards are pretty popular. Yeah. Not the kind of prices they were bringing when they, you know, they were a lot harder to get, but... They they still drive the market to an extent. I see that oh. bat behind you. Uh, can I ask you what 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 is that bat behind you? Uh, that's um, just a Keith Hernandez signed bat. Oh man! <laughs> hey, all right. <laughs> of course, he was in the Cardinal uniform when he signed that, not the Yank the Mets. He, he was retired when he signed it. Actually. Oh, okay. <laughs> He's a nice he is a nice fella. He broke oh, my yeah. heart when he went to the Mets. A lot of Cardinals went up there. Gary Templeton and. And Vince Coleman, and you know, it's it's Bernard part of the Gilkey. game. Yes, that? that's right. That's right. Bernard, Bernard Gilkey. Gilkey. Yeah. 
a power hitter with the Mets. Yeah. <laughs> Good New York life, man. Makes you focus on baseball. So what what's you had to have had a few pieces that crossed your path that you were like, wow, am I actually looking at this in real life? What were like some of the pieces that you thought I am pretty lucky to be able to say I've I've dealt with this, I've seen this, or I've owned this? You know, I didn't own any of the really super cool ones, but uh we had a we had an incredibly nice condition, amazing Spider-Man number six at one point. Uh, and you know, that, you know, there was no doubt, boy, that's a that's a rare bird uh sports wise we had my gosh some cool stuff uh we you know the one of the more popular autograph pieces that we ever sold and we had several of them from some private signings that he had done uh was muhammad ali standing over sunny liston uh, and it was just such a cool shot you know um that's that's one that i always think i wish i had picked one of those up but i didn't um but you know, like really just beautiful, beautiful Joe Namath rookie. A uh, lot of lot of really nice like mantle and museal things through the years. A, a beautiful Gordy Howe rookie. Um you had a Gordy Howe rookie? Uh we had one come through. Uh, wow. We did and not have it long. <laughs> what year was that? Because it had to have been oh, in the forties. Fifties, I. Fifties, yeah, yeah. I can't remember the exact year now, but uh, we had a one of our regular customers was in speaking with another one of our regular customers, and uh, the guy was like, "Boy, if I could get a How rookie, I'd I'd do so much. Yeah, I'd I'd pay X amount for a really nice one." Um, and after he left, the other guy goes, "I've got a gorgeous How rookie. Um, you know, I'll bring it in if you want to sell it to him." <laughs> I mean, it was uh, it was gorgeous. It was like, holy cow! He's like, I got it out of a pack when I was a kid, and I always just took great care of them. So that was a a neat thing. That's pretty cool. Now, one time, you're you're from a family of six kids. How many how many of you six kids were working at these different locations? Uh, Rick, once he retired from Pepsi, um. But uh, I, we started it with me kind of running the first store. Uh, then Jerry came in when, and opened the Fairview Heights store. Uh, Lisa, our sister, worked at the Alton store with me for quite a while. And then Rick and Dad would work on the weekends. And then Rick took, you know, worked full-time once he retired from Pepsi. But uh, nice. the, a couple of them were, were smart enough to say, <laughs> I don't want to do this. <laughs> do you miss but, it? I do, and I wouldn't trade it for the world. And and I've got some some great friends, you know, that have been like, you know, their lifelong friends now from from back then. So it's it's nice. Good, good. Yeah, JJ, I I um always like when I go there. I got like go to the conventions. I like to see how people display things because I've got so many things. I sometimes I just go through boxes and I find stuff. I forgot I had. So I see you got some uh, autograph ball and a picture back there. There's so many ways to display it. And uh, 
I don't know. As I get older, I seem to have uh, more fondness. I love baseball just as much as ever. I don't collect like I did when I was a kid, but I like to see what the new sets look like. So I'll buy a pack or two of each one, maybe use them for autographs. If somebody's going to be somewhere, get them autographed. But that's about it on that front. I've mainly been collecting uh, autographs and uh, they had a uh, postcard set they put out in 89 of all the Hall of Famers and they signed a lot of them. And yeah. I've, been, I've been collecting. I got Willie Stargell recently and, and Enos Slaughter and I'm slowly piecing it together. Now there's some I can't afford. Like you, Mickey Mantle never seems like his, the, the love of Mantle has never, it's only grows each year. It seems like. It's crazy. It uh, is crazy. You're not, I'm not getting the Mantle. I have the 58 <laughs> all-star card, but that's about all I'm going to be able to get of his. Nothing wrong with that. Yeah. He, uh, you know, and, and there was no shortage of, I mean, uh, real signed autographs from him. He did a ton of shows. I mean, tons of shows um, and signed tons of stuff. Uh, but it just, the, it, it didn't seem to matter how much he signed. There were always more people that wanted it. <laughs> there I, I think his, his good looks were, were, were part of it because I, he just, Looked like he walked out of a movie screen onto a baseball field, and then after after he retired, he, he did some like real cream commercials, and you know he he, he kind of kept himself in there as a as a happy personality, and then after he passed away, the the you know of course ball four the Bowden book kind of kind of sheds him. This is what Mickey's really like, but I think people realize that. This guy could have even been so much better if he would have taken care of himself that he was just a from a small dot in the road in Oklahoma. He was a freak athlete. And it it, it kind of reminds me of, you know, I went to school. I never studied in, in K through high school. Never did. I, I just remembered things. And I was fine being a B student. And then I got to college. And I realized, hey, man, I got to study this crap now. So I had to learn study habits, uh, you know, when I was 18 years old. But I think uh, I think that's one of the things that, that keeps that mantle legacy going is that we now know so much about him. And, you know, this guy may have been the premier athlete of the 20th century. And I'm not just talking about baseball player because he had speed, power. He had everything. And to go along with an alcohol problem and a womanizing problem that he he chased just as passionately as baseball and, so and the I, lack of functional knees <laughs> yeah it's it's just amazing what he accomplished um with the demons that he had and and i i think the looks the personality and everything that train just picks up more steam whereas like some guys when they retire like someone mentioned on a TV show, Rod Carew, a few months ago, I never hear anybody talk about Rod Carew anymore. He was the best hitter of my generation, probably, when I was a kid. Mm -hmm. And no one talks about him anymore. But Mickey Mantle, boy, people still talk about Mickey. Oh, yeah. yeah. Mickey I, won the championships. He had all those championships with all yeah. those great players. And that that takes you to another legendary status. I don't know if Rod ever won a championship. And I love Rod Carew. Love Rod Carew, but yeah, Mickey's like, you know, for us, we didn't get to see Ruth 
and Gehrig and DiMaggio, but we got this, you know, we can do videotape. We can see Mantle. He's like the closest thing we had to those guys, Ted Williams and those guys. Yeah. Yeah. He, uh, yeah. And he did it on the biggest stage boy right there in New York and part of that Yankee legacy. My gosh. Well, now that we've gushed about Mickey Mantle. <laughs> so, well, we need to wrap this up. So, uh, uh, Jerry, uh, or Jerry, Mark, sorry. <laughs> um, do you still collect at all? Like if you're, you know, at a store, do you pick up a pack of cards or anything? Yeah, I, I still enjoy opening them. I, I still give them away mostly. Um, but I, I keep a few, you know, honestly, I, you know, I, uh, there's a store in Edwardsville that I like to go to a lot called good sports. Uh, and, and the owner of that used to bring his son into our stores. Uh, but, uh, it's always fun to go in there and, and talk to Ben and buy thing. I pick up cold Schmidt cards, uh, some Mets, you know, the occasional Alonzo, uh, DeGrom, even though he's, on Texas now, I still love him. Uh, you know, like I say, Arenado. And I always buy some packs just because it's still fun to open packs of baseball cards. There's something about uh, it. Yeah, it just, it brings you, it takes you back to being a kid. I got to know, what was your emotion when Wayne Wright threw that hook to Carlos Beltran? <laughs> it was what it was. <laughs> were you happy were you sad were you like i wasn't thrilled uh it, it was a uh bittersweet uh, i guess maybe yeah, yeah. i mean it, it was kind of like well if it had to happen all right <laughs> yeah. uh but but you know at that point i was definitely leaning more towards the cardinals yeah well, Mark, thank you for your time. Thanks, and, Mark. Uh, thank yeah, you. you ever, ever want to be back on again, let us know. Um, Please. Yeah, and uh, very happy. Uh, Mark, for the first time, heard my comedy set last week. And uh, second time. I, you came on. Second time. Oh, yeah. <laughs> you were there like years ago when I yep. was so terrible. Yeah, I remember that. Now, tell JJ this because JJ hasn't been in comedy. How bad was I when I started out? It was terrible. I, it was nobody laughed. He's too nice. He'll be, he'll be, he'll be nice. I've heard worse. <laughs> All right, but it's well, it's always well, entertaining. Vince does a good job. He does. He does a very good job. I, I just go up there and have fun. So, but th thanks, Mark, for your time, and we will see you down the road. Okay. All right. Thanks a lot, guys. Thank you. Good Thank to meet you, JJ. Nice meeting you. Well, JJ, what are you opening? Well, I am opening. I bought that big old set of those uh, 2019s. I'll show that again. The Babe Ruth and Aaron Judge on the front cover there, and uh, so I'm excited. I, I I get I love opening cards and seeing what I got. And uh, let's see. Let me get them all flipped in the same direction at least. All right. Oh, was it? I don't know if this guy was a Chicago Cub or not. Played with the Red Sox in 2019. Mitch Moreland? Was it? No. Was it, it was, there was a Moreland that played for the Cubs, though, wasn't there? Yeah, his dad, Keith Moreland, played for the Cubs in the uh, oh, 80s. Oh, okay. 
All right, man, I missed that one by 20 years. Good Lord. Yeah. <laughs> oh, here we go. The unicorn. Otani right there. Otani. And future future cup showing yeah. Otani. <laughs> I seen some articles with that in there. And look, he's got the uh rookie, the little rookie uh trophy right there. That's a yeah. that's another baseball tradition. All the, the top rookies have that little tag on there. You got the Boston Red Sox, um, their team card, and uh, it looks like one of those players is Mookie Betts running off the field there. Hmm. Uh classic uh cardinals and bush stadium there's their team card right there and with the arch in the background i i tell you what i didn't want them to tear down the old stadium because i had so many memories there but i do love the new bush stadium i do so you know i'm slow to change uh oh here's you know what this may be my bet favorite picture that you guys have right now kyle hendricks I love that guy, and I tell you what, he is a force to be reckoned with. He gives us a lot of trouble. Uh, pitchers like that always give the Cardinals trouble. Uh, a guy that's underrated that has had a lot of success, uh, San Francisco Giant, Brandon Belt. Very good player, and he's had a long career with them. Although, who, did, who did he go to? Is he? He's not with them anymore, is he? I see. He's I didn't. A free even... agent. I'm, I I know he he signed later. I can't remember who it was with though. Well, here's a uh, an all-time classic. It says "Great Grapefruit League Greats," and the one, the only, Ty Cobb, right there. How about that? Yeah, I, I belong to a group in face on Facebook that is trying to rehab the image of the 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 history of Ty Cobb, and uh, it's very fascinating. And two things have killed Cobb. Um, his reputation. Number one was the book that Al Stumpf wrote, which has largely been debunked now. But that was kind of the blueprint of what people said, oh, well, he was this terrible human being. But then the Ken Burns baseball documentary, Ken Burns did not do his research. And he just used Al Stump and talked about how terrible of a player, uh, terrible of a person Cobb was. I remember when Pete Rose broke the hit record, Pete Rose, who I don't think is a choir boy, he was on the Phil Donahue show and I was watching it. And, you know, he, that, he asked him about breaking Cobb's race. He said, well, you know, I think Cobb was a nasty human being and all this other stuff. Um, but I, I read another book and I can't remember the name of it. Um, I read a book about three years ago that did thorough research and, He's not the monster he was made out to be. A lot of these stories were um, unsubstantiated. I can't say the word. Unsubstantiated, yes. Between the uh, two of us, we'll figure it out. A lot of flat-out lies. And obviously, Al Stumpf had an axe to grind with Ty Cobb and wanted to sell books. But Cobb gave away so much money. He was supportive of African-American players. And this is all fact stuff versus what Al Stump said, which was basically him and Cobb. And then the stories that he wrote from yesteryear, you know, that Cobb beat up a crippled man in the stands once because the man called him the N-word. And um, and that, that story Ken Burns uh, relays in the baseball documentary as fact. We know now that that never happened. So... 
my tangent on Cobb is over. Well, you know, back then, if some if if a writer didn't like you, and I don't think Cobb was uh well, Ted Williams, none of those guys were really, you know, you got people like Dizzy Dean who was just a wild man and happy and tell the crazy stories. They loved him, but Ted Williams, he didn't like the press, and I don't think Cobb did either. Um, I don't think they did anything out of their way to treat him bad, but they were both intense players. And, you know, if somebody don't like you, they can put a book out and say anything they want. Nowadays, it's harder to get away with that kind of stuff. But uh, Yeah, and, and, you know, I, I don't think anyone's saying that Cobb was was a choir boy. He he was not Gary Carter, you know, his, you know, <laughs> Mr. I've never done anything wrong that, you know, my, my cousin is so fond of. He was not that person, but he certainly was not the monster he's been made out to be. Go ahead with your cards. Oh, okay. Well, they have one here. I've never seen this before. It says, all smiles, Houston uh, holds uh, bets at first. And what it is, it's Mookie Betts and uh, our old friend Albert Pujols there together, just playing the game, enjoying each other. And, you know, I enjoy that. Like, I my my son and me watched some Cubs games and Cardinal games, and uh, we were watching, and, like, Baez loved Yachty, and Yachty loved, they'd hug sometimes and talk, and uh, if it was a good play, they'd get up and good play, and they'd run back, and my son was like, you know, these Cubs guys are pretty nice fellows. And I said, yeah, it's, I can't hate the Cubs. I hate the Mets, but I can't hate the Cubs, man. They play it the right way. I like that, you know. Um, okay, I have a Philadelphia Philly, uh, Cesar Hernandez. A nice action pick right there. Yeah. Double double play. Um, this guy here, um, I can't think of what's going on with him, but I think he's uh, Florida's got a lot of good arms Urena, uh, the pitcher from uh, the Florida, they have a lot of good young arms down there. A player that was with the Expos and went all the way over to the and became a national. And uh, Ryan Zimmerman, right there, yeah, uh, a very good player. Uh, had a nice career. Uh, here's a Hall of Famer. I'm glad we get a Hall of Famer in this pack. We've had a few of them here, but uh, Verlander, Justin Verlander. Yeah. Oh man, what a career that guy's had. And uh, Elvis Andrus, and then he was with Texas Rangers. I think he played most of his career with with Texas, and I think yeah, he's still in the league. Okay, with the White Sox. Yeah. yeah. Okay. Good, good player. And that's my set, Vince. Yeah, I have a 2022 tops. All right. And the Heritage Pack, I believe. Yeah. I, I you know, one of the reasons why I love opening up old packs is I can open them up, you know. These uh, I've I've got I've got a a trigger thumb right now, so oh, okay, yeah. And I, I'm going to get the doctor to look at it. And my cousin had that, and she had to have surgery, so I may be facing surgery. Oh but man, simple tasks like opening up baseball cards become very tough. I don't know whatever happened to this guy. I never hear about him on the news anymore. Uh, Carlos Correa. And he's with the twins <laughs> again. So back where he started from. Uh, very good player for the Atlanta Braves. Uh, Ozzy Alves. Albers. <laughs> Alves. He signed so. a nice uh, team-friendly contract there. And for the Reds, Tyler Stevenson. He's I've got the name. a beautiful smile. Beautiful smile. Uh, <laughs> and here's here's a very serious Mike Trout. 
Oh, yeah. Shot don't play around. And uh, here's one of the best players ever to be named Gavin Sheets. In fact, maybe the best Gavin Sheets ever to play Major League Baseball. <laughs> oh, and once more, here was the man who was the most popular guy in his frat, Seth Beer. Oh, yeah, we've got, he's come up a few times. Yeah, yeah one of those Chrome cards. <laughs> All right, this is an old throwback of Dave Reese. Does that not look like the karate kid doing the crane? Yeah. Yeah, oh. Mr. Miyagi. Yeah. Look out. A oh, very good player. Uh, really good offensive shortstop for the Brewers. Willie Adamas. Oh, yes. Is he gone, too? Is he? On a, I think he's on a new team. Is it? No, he? no. I, th I think he's, he's oh, one okay. of the only bats they have left. <laughs> Man. And uh, future Hall of Famer, the American League version of Yachty, Mr. Salvador Perez, who is still... Cool. Good like, guy. Look, Still that last piece of that World Series puzzle yeah. that they had. A little bit more offense than Yachty ever had, but a little bit behind defensively. So and he's still a good defender. Um, but yeah, he's the American League uh, version I of went, Yachty. I went to Kansas City this year and went saw two games, and he's like royalty out there. The, you know, oh, yeah. he's the guy they all they stand up every time he comes up to bat. You know, he, he he's uh, he's one of their all time greats. Yeah. Well, JJ, next week when we talk, we can actually talk a little bit about what we're seeing in spring training. Uh, maybe we catch a game or two and tell what our teams are doing. Yes. Uh, I do want to thank our guest, uh, Mark Souders from uh, the former Turn 2 Collectibles uh, um, franchise, I guess you could call it. Um, they did great work and were a big part of the 90s in the St. Louis area. Uh, I'd like to thank Brody and Max for contributing with Down on the Farm, and they will be back next month to look at double A ball. JJ, do you have anything to add? Be safe out there. The weather's getting nicer. Uh, and uh, I love being here on Wednesdays. It's great talking with everybody. So take care, everybody. Bye-bye. <laughs>